0: Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome back to the Wellpreneur podcast. This week, we're talking about everyone's favorite or least favorite topic, sales. But if you're a wellness entrepreneur, if you're growing a business, then sales are an inevitable part of business because you need sales in order to grow. And so shifting our mindset about sales, finding a way to make sales work for us with our personal strengths, with our personality, with our business model is absolutely essential to growing a successful wellness business. So this week, I want to dig into the archives and bring back one of our most popular episodes, which is with Matthew Kimberly, All About Sales. I've heard from you over the past couple of years that you guys just love Matthew's approach to sales and just the way that he presents it in a really accessible, doable way to integrate into your business. So if you haven't heard this episode, I think you're really going to like it. Actually, even if you have heard this episode, if you haven't listened within the past month, I would say you want to listen to this because as we start off the new year, sales is it's just an integral part of everything that we're doing in running a business. So I'm excited to share this episode with you again. Now, remember, if you want to get any of the links to the things that we talk about in this episode, you can find them and all the rest of our podcast episodes on our website at wellpreneur.com. Plus, if you haven't been over to wellpreneur.com, there's loads of good stuff on there. We have tons of blog content and articles all tailored to you, the wellness entrepreneur. So come on over and give our website some love if you haven't come by to visit recently. Okay, let's jump into this episode with Matthew Kimberly all about sales. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Amanda. Great to be here.
0: So we're seeing each other virtually now, but the last time I saw you, we were... In the actually, I was going to say on the sunny shores of Cebu, but actually it was swelteringly hot. <laughs> it
1: was sticky. <laughs> it
0: was drinking Mai Tais and talking about online business and things. And
1: you're still in the sticky Orient, and I'm now in the sticky Mediterranean. <laughs> oh, right. So wherever we go in the world, we can't escape the stickiness. <laughs>
0: Anyway, I'm so glad that you were able to come on the show because for anyone that doesn't know you, you're kind of you're the guy that knows about selling. You run the school for selling. You teach people how to sell. And I know that this is something that wellpreneurs really have a lot of conflict about this whole idea of selling. So I totally wanted to have you come on to help us get over our fear of selling and and figure out just how to how to bring in more clients, how to sell ourselves better.
1: Good, Um, I devoted my life to to try to help people do exactly that. And particularly those who are reluctant for one reason or another. And I absolutely understand sales reluctance. And it's unfortunately the people who are the most reluctant are the people who don't need to be. The people who beat themselves up most about selling because they're worried about the way that they come across or not wanting to appear too pushy are the people who are blessed with the highest amounts of emotional intelligence and, and EQ. It's because of that that they're concerned about Putting their prospect in an awkward position by making them an offer. And therefore, actually, I believe the most qualified people to be selling because that's what we want from a salesperson. We want an understanding person. We want somebody who gets us when we're buyers. We want somebody who doesn't beat us into a corner. And the people who are concerned about being that kind of person are the kind of people who would actually make great salespeople. And I, I believe, you know, most sales comes down to. Confidence and a little bit of self work is necessary to understand that when you put an offer in front of somebody that you genuinely believe is going to be of service to them, then you, of course you give them the opportunity to get on board.
0: So, what do you think it is? Like, what I'm sure you've met thousands of people that have real hang ups around sales. What is it, do you think? What's the cause of that?
1: It's about not wanting to ask for things. For a long time, you know, it's kind of beat into us, uh, particularly those of us who were brought up in the UK or the US or the Western world, that we kind of get what we're given and, and it's inappropriate to ask for more than we already have and you should be satisfied with your lot. And, you know, can I have some more? No, you absolutely can't have some more. The Oliver, Oliver Twist story is you know, comes to mind immediately. I think it's also about, you know, people say that people don't like to ask for the because they're afraid of rejection which is absolutely true. It hurts. I've, I've made hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of cold calls in my life. And it can, it can be dispiriting to get someone to say no all day long or worse. And I understand that. And it, you know, rejection in any form is not something that we like to receive, which is why the tendency to play it safe is strong. If you don't ask for anything, then you can't get rebuffed and therefore you'll feel fine and your worldview will be reinforced and, and nobody has, has challenged you on, uh, you know, I asked and I didn't get it. So I'm not going to ask again. You're going to ask a girl to go out with you so many times before you give up unless you're unusually persistent or, or any other example of, of, of making requests. But I'm not sure that's the main reason. We also hear that people are afraid of success. And I think that's nonsense. I think nobody's afraid of success. I think if we were handed success on a silver platter and said, hey, Amanda, here's a big plate of success, you'd say, Oh, thanks very much. But very often we're not prepared to to do the work to get it, you know. And this is not it's not a damning indictment of anybody, I understand. You know, if I got up earlier, then I could fit in breakfast before I had to jump on the tube and go to work. But I'm gonna have the extra hour in bed. You know, we tend to be short-sighted when it comes to the long play. I think the main reason, though, that we don't like to ask for the sale, which is, you know, a salesperson is somebody who makes sales happen, as opposed to an order taker who receives orders, like, in a, uh, if you're selling commodity, or if you have a monopoly, or if you are working in a supermarket checkout, you are an order taker. A salesperson is somebody who initiates the sale, makes it happen. And the reason that we are afraid to initiate the sale is because we don't like to change the nature of the relationship with the person in front of us. So I'm getting on really well with you, Amanda. We're, we're getting on fine. I think you'd make a great prospect, but I'm just going to wait until you come to me because I don't want to be seen as pushy. I'm going to wait until you come to me because if I ask you for the sale, then you're no longer, you're no longer going to see me as this nice guy. You're going to see me as somebody who's trying to trap you into some kind of commercial relationship. And that's nonsense. I believe that that is nonsense. I believe that you'd have to be really ignorant to damage a relationship by asking somebody to become a customer. I think we do occasionally get pissed off with salespeople who don't get the message that we're giving them. So would you like to buy my thing? You know what? Thanks very much for your offer. But I'm going to pass today. Well, here's, why, here's 10 reasons why I think it would be great for you. Yeah, but I'm not really in the market today. Well, can I ask you why not? That's my worst. That's the the worst. Can I ask you why you're not interested? Yeah, you can ask me why I'm not interested if you want me to unleash your whole boatload of kick-ass. But isn't isn't my word good enough? But most of us won't do that, right? Most of us won't keep pushing past the sale because we've got too high levels of emotional intelligence. The vast majority of people get other people. Psychopaths and sociopaths maybe don't. And they make quite Persistent salespeople, but they're not, you know, the, the happiest or the most well-rounded or the most loved. So the way that I like to reframe this for my clients and for, and for anybody who listens to what I have to say is to ask them. Ask you, let's say, imagine you're my client, and and, and and I'm asking you to put yourself in the prospect's shoes. So you're having a conversation with the prospects and you think, what is this prospect thinking right now? Are they thinking that it's pleasant having a conversation with me? Yes. Are they exhibiting? Signals that they would potentially be a good customer or a good client for me. Yes, they are. Okay, well, let's not pass up on that opportunity. Let's ask them if it's considered, or even better, let's tell them that it's something that they should be looking into. And then let's see how that lands. And when we see how it lands, what is almost guaranteed is if we do it right, that our prospect will not be offended, they will not be upset, they will not be pissed off, They will probably be curious. And if they exhibit interest, they'd like to find out more. Then you have the opportunity to present your solution to them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we don't like to change the nature of the relationship with our prospect because we think somehow they're going to be angry, upset or pissed off. Whether we voice that, even though we know that's not actually the case, um, we tell ourselves that. When was the last time that you were pissed off? When somebody asked you to buy something, when was the last time you were angry when somebody said, "Hey, you should totally check out the program that's done by this guy because it's great," or "Hey, you should definitely look into into my having a chat with my personal trainer because she's fantastic," or "Hey, my nutritionist is awesome. Do you want to meet her?" The answer is normally yes. Thank you for thinking of me. That would be great. Rather than I'm so offended that you that you spoke to me. Yeah,
0: really, so you're right. Yeah. Sorry, the only um, time it gets annoying is when they push and push and push and push. I had somebody, who was uh, walking down the street, give me a sample of feed cream. Oh, and I took it. And that was a mistake. Because then I got roped into this horrible hard, sale, hard sell, right? But and that, unless that, they do that,
1: that yeah, yeah, that really sucks. We don't like the hard sell at all. If we can present it in such a way that which we can always, then we haven't got any issues at all. We present it in such a way where we say, listen, I'm a nutritionist. Oh, that's great. Tell me about being a nutritionist. Well, what I do is I help people go from feeling generally pretty rotten to feeling awesome all day long. Well, that sounds fantastic! It really is. Listen, um, do you want to hear a little bit more about my program, or do you think that would be something that would be great for you? Yeah, sure. Right. Well, here we go. Let me enter into my pitch. Let me have a conversation with you about it. That's it. That's how it goes. It's super simple. Um, I'm really. Ex- what are you excited about today, Amanda? I'm really excited about my new Worldpreneur program. Oh, great! Tell me about it. Well, it's for people who work in the in the health and wellness industries who are uh, who who are looking to get more clients, make a living earn more revenue, and have less stress. Well, that sounds interesting. Right? It really is. Listen, it starts in June. Would you like me to send you all the details? Sure. In fact, I tell you what, why don't I tell you now and get you signed up if, if, if it's something that feels right for you? Okay, great. It's super simple. It's super simple. It's about identifying the buying signals or the, the interest signals. Interest is qualification, right? So you have to qualify your prospects. When they exhibiting signals or signs of interest, then we have the opportunity to move in and have a conversation with them. It's not about lead talking them through a sales page or standing up in front of them with a PowerPoint presentation getting them to sign there and then it's just about letting people know how they can invest in you and if they like you and they trust you and they need what you've got to offer and they have the funds or they have access to the funds then they should be able to they should be able to become your client.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that because I feel like that makes it sound it makes it sound really simple actually. And, and not like some scary sales process. And I think I was chatting with a client yesterday, and she said, "Well, when I'm in my house behind my computer, I'm a health coach. But as soon as mm-hmm. I step out the door, I stop being a health coach because I never want to tell anyone about it. Yeah. And I think basically what you're saying is the sales process. I mean, I think she's not alone in that. I've heard that from a lot of people that they're they're uncomfortable talking about what they do. And I think basically, like the sales what you outlined for sales is you're really just talking to people about what you do. And if they show an interest, then you can just invite them to go further. It's not like some scammy, sleazy, pushy sales thing. It's just in the context of a conversation.
1: Absolutely right. And, you know, I'm a huge proponent of the Book Yourself Solid system that was created by Michael Paul. And if you don't know Book Yourself Solid, I'd say that's required reading, mandatory reading for any service yeah. business owner, whether you've got 100 members of staff or, or if it's just you on your own. And there are a couple of really key components from that which spring to mind when you're, uh, while you were talking about it. The first one is that when we talk about what we do, we should be crystal clear. I mean, crystal clear in real language, not in industry-specific language, not in obscure language, not definitely not in creative language. But if you're somebody who is a, a nutritionist, right? Then and people say, "What is it you do for a living?" You say, "Oh, I help people feel fantastic by changing what they eat." Oh, that's interesting. Well, I eat a diet of fried food and and potato chips. Great, well, I could probably help you. Um, Whereas if you say, say, for example, I see the life coaching industry, people come up with very woolly labels.
0: My favorite is is everyone says, I empower women to live their most vibrant life. Yeah, you just took took
1: the words out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah. you took the words out of my (laughs) mouth. You know, step into your greatness or unleash your... Power step into your power, step into your greatness, unleash the inner divine goddess, blah blah blah. You have to ask yourself is if 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 you're a service professional who who is self employed or or who you know works on their own, chances are it's going to be places like supermarket checkout lines school events. Meetings, uh, chatting with with strangers on the subway, where you're going to have the opportunity to be referred. And if you use language that doesn't make you referable, or that turns people off, or makes people feel stupid because they don't understand what you're talking about, then you're not going to get the chance to talk about what you do. And so, if you say, "What does he do for a living?" Oh, I'm an empowerment specialist who helps, you know, who who, who helps goddesses step into their greatness, yeah. say, right, okay, well, oof. Whereas if you say, what do you do for a living? You say, well, I do really interesting work. Thanks for asking. I work with ladies aged between 40 and 50 who are feeling a bit, ugh, to feel great again. Oh, wow, you should speak to my daughter. Mm-hmm. She's just, or you should speak to my mother. She's feeling like that. Or you should speak to my wife or my sister. The person you're speaking to probably, you know, statistically, if you've chosen a tightly enough defined target market, isn't going to be in your target market. But if you talk about what you do clearly enough, then you'll be easily referable you'll be easily referable and that's and that's critical and the other part is the is the four part super simple sales conversation which comes straight from Put yourself solid which is if you're talking to someone who's generally qualified because of the conversation you've had with them right they'd be a good candidate for your services and you say well what is it about your diet that you're trying to change and they say well you know i've i've got a bit of a an affliction for comfort eating when i'm feeling down which is regularly, okay, well, that's, that's a shame. And I guess you want to change that. Yeah, I do. It'd be great if I could stick to a healthy regime. I know I'd feel better. I'd be more inspired to think, okay, okay. So is that something you'd like some help with? Mm-hmm. Well, why do you ask? Well, because it's exactly the kind of work I do and, and I'd love to work with somebody like you. That's the other thing. I don't think we should ever be shy of looking our prospects in the eye and saying, I'd love to work with you. You know, you you and me would be great together. I am excited. Now, there's there's a difference between putting your client on a pedestal and worshiping them. And being enthusiastic, many salespeople put their client on a pedestal, start to tiptoe around their prospect, they get their asses whipped by the prospect's buying system. And rather than try to say, right, here's your offer, here's your deadline, they say, well, what would really work for you? And will you get back to me at some undefined point in the future? And I'm I'm terribly sorry to bother you. And I'm sure you're very busy. Well, no, actually, nothing's more important than the conversation we're having right now. So you walk in there like the consultant, like the professional, like the medical professional that's going to save their life, or the legal professional that's going to get them out of hot water, who never kowtow to their prospects. Can you imagine going into a doctor's office and the doctor saying, well, thank you so much for choosing me. I'm really very grateful that you made the trip all the way here. It must be very good. Or you walk into a lawyer's office and you're, you're not a big, big, like multi-billion dollar client of theirs, but you walk in and you say, I think I need legal advice. They're like, right, well, sit down. And I will come and sit with you and assess whether you're allowed to become a client of ours. That's the way that, you know, that's the mentality that we should have. We are in control and we are the prize. But it doesn't mean that we should disrespect our clients. And by getting enthusiastic about it, it allows them to get enthusiastic. When I used to pitch uh, corporate services to big companies, that was the approach I always used. Because most people call and say, hi, we can definitely help you with your telecommunications needs. Please tell me, list the seven most important reasons that you like to use the telephone and they'd go cold call, hang up. As I'd say, listen, I need some advice. I would love to work with your company. How can we go about doing that? Who do I need to speak to? I think it'd be exciting. I can help you, I'm sure and and you know my job now is to see whether you, you agree with me. so how can we have a conversation about that? And it's about being human. it's about being human and and you know a lot of copywriting advice, a lot of traditional sales training tells us that we have to have glib patter and we have to be able to enumerate the features and benefits of our offers, we have to be able to handle every possible objection so that our customer rolls over and allows us to tickle their belly into submission. And it never works like that. It's just about intellectual honesty, where you walk in, you say, if it's right for you, I would love that we become customers, that you become our customer. What do you need to know in order to make a decision like that? Well, I need to know how much it costs. I need to know what's in it for me. I need to agree. Well, let me show you some specific case studies, some specific examples, some specific reasons why I'm the best person for you mm-hmm. and, and run with it.
0: Can I just pull out one thing that you said there, which I just want everybody to take away from this conversation, which is you made a passing remark at that you shouldn't just leave the ball in the prospect's court. And I think this is a mistake that I see over and over. And fortunately, I learned this in the corporate world when I was working in sales, is that you always take the next step for yourself. So you're always in charge of the next contact. So you never say to somebody, oh, okay, well, here's how we could work together. Why don't you get back to me next week? Because then yep. you, have no, you have no reason to follow up with them again, right? And they're going to- this,
1: this is Crisco. And if you, want, if you want a really good education in this, you might be familiar with it. Amanda Reed. You can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar by <laughs> David Sandler. David Sandler is the creator of the Sandler system. And he's written a whole treatise. And it's it's really very, very powerful stuff on how to manage the customer sales process. Because I think he said, if you don't have a system for selling, you're going to be at the mercy of your prospect's system for buying. Mm-hmm. And your prospect's system for buying, particularly in the corporate world, which might be, you know, maybe, maybe less relevant for your audience, but I think all of the lessons apply because we sell to people ultimately, is that we'll do things on our terms. We will even pay invoices on our terms, mm-hmm. you know, 60 days end of month or when it's been approved. And you can't send us anything until you fill the purchase order. And if you want to work with us, you have to complete a request for proposal process. And it's not true. You know. You do not have to do any of these things. And so that's a great book about managing the customer buying experience. And he reiterates this, what you just said about never leaving the ball in the prospect's court so firmly. You need to have a series of upfront contracts. And you might think, well, how can I force a prospect to get back to If I make them a proposal and I and I put the price on the table, how can I force them to get back to me? Of course, the ball has to be in their court at some stage. It does. But by applying two principles, you can wrest control back of the situation. The first principle is that you should never be afraid to say no. You should never be afraid to say no to a prospect. And you give the prospect permission to stop the process at any stage. I would rather hear a no from you than a maybe or an I'll think about it or I'll get back to you later. Obviously, thinking about it time is critical. It doesn't mean you have to force them to make a decision on the first telephone call you have with them. But if they are going to go away and think about it, then you say, great, let's agree. Let's have an upfront contract. You don't use the words upfront contract that Sandler does in his book. Let's agree on when we're going to pick, pick the ball up again. So the ball is now in your court. When are you going to call me back? I'll call you back during the week. Fantastic. Shall we say Thursday at one o'clock? And they, you're, agree, you're getting them to agree to what happens next. And it's more difficult to break an agreement than it is to mm. promise to get back to somebody at some, some stage in the future. But you can even take it a step further. And you say, well, what happens if you don't pick up the ball and throw it back to me? Can we agree on that? And the answer is, yes, of course we can. Great. So if I don't hear from you on Thursday at 1 o'clock, I will call you on Friday morning at 9 o'clock. And then when your boss, who may be your sales manager, or it may be you wearing a different hat says, what's happening with this prospect? What's happening with this proposal that's out there? You say, Friday, we'll know one way or another.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's great. That's much better than, I'm so excited. I've got 20 proposals out there. I'm going to be rich because days go by, weeks go by, people stop returning your calls. Not because you've done anything wrong. It's just because you're probably not their number one priority. Really. I mean, you might think you should be, but you're probably not. So the proposal goes out. Unless you set the cadence and the speed for the follow-up and you get them to agree in advance now, is there still a chance that you won't get hold of them at nine o'clock on Friday morning? For sure. But are you more, at which stage you you write to them and you say, listen, I understand that you're not ready to make a decision right now. That's absolutely fine. I will contact you again in three months unless I hear from you in the meantime. Uh, it's been wonderful working with you. I hope we get to work together in the future. But move on, find a prospect who's willing to commit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so critical, so critical. And and I used to really beat my staff up um, uh, metaphorically, not actually. <laughs> when when I was running a recruitment company, and I'd say, "What's happening with this proposal?" and they'd say, "Waiting for them to get back to me." I'd say, "No, get on the phone and work out exactly when they're going to get back to you." Mm-hmm.
0: I'm having flashbacks to my corporate job when my when our director used to say the same thing. What's the next yeah. step? When's it going to happen? And it's true because if you don't, if otherwise they just, it floats out there and everyone gets too busy and, and as a small business for the, most of the solopreneurs listening, we just don't, you don't have time for that. Your time's yeah.
1: too valuable. So yeah. some of the best, some of the best sales trainers in the world teach this concept one way or another. David Sandler has his submarine, uh, and in a submarine you can always, you know, even if it starts to let on water, you can lock the previous compartment. So that the idea is you move your prospect through mm. each compartment of the submarine until they're in the final stages, which is trapped, I guess, Um <laughs> they make a decision. Um, Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, teaches the straight line system. And the straight line system, you know, excellent, excellent training material. He, he says, your job is to get them from A to Z. As straight a straighter line as possible, and even though there will be obstacles and deviations, and people always try to pull you away from the next step, your job is always to pull people back to the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, often seen as, yeah, I mean, if you were to design a, a pipeline, a sales pipeline in Salesforce or in Pipe or in any other kind of sales management CRM system, you would be required to specify what step comes next and you move people literally through each but step I think from most people don't know
0: yeah. most people don't know i mean most solar practitioners you're just you don't really have a sales process and i think that's where you were talking about the book yourself solid book that's where that comes in
1: right? yeah and also you know i definitely recommend my school for selling then thank you for the of course. Uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> opportunity for me to uh, effortlessly mention that in my school I have a very very straightforward you know 45 minute 50 minute training session on how to design a sales process and it really is what steps do I need to do first I need to attract their attention secondly they need to become aware of me thirdly maybe we exchange emails you decide what it is you know it's not not written in, in in stone thirdly Maybe we talk on the telephone. Fourthly, I make a proposal. Fifthly, they must follow up within a certain time frame. And then, you know, lots of people will start at the beginning and um, fewer people will end up at the end. But your job is to move people through the sales process, which isn't the same as a funnel.
0: Can you talk about that
1: just briefly? Yeah. Why is uh, so it not sales, the same as a funnel? Well, a funnel, is, a funnel dictates the idea that if you can picture a funnel in your head, it's a kind of inverted triangle, inverted pyramid, with a wide gap at the top and a narrow gap at the bottom. And a sales funnel dictates that people come into your business by making small purchases, and then or small commitments, maybe you know a commitment of time or a commitment of energy, or giving you their email address, and then some of those people will filter through. And the narrower the funnel gets, the fewer people there are at each level of the funnel. Let's say it's a funnel with four different levels. And the people at the bottom of the funnel, in the tightest part of the funnel, will be the ones spending the most money with you, and there'll be fewer of them. But the idea is everyone comes in at the same point. Everyone has to come in and, and, and spend cash. So that's more about the customer's buying cycle, hmm. the customer's buying process. The, the the sales pipeline is what happens before they become customers.
0: Right.
1: So before somebody becomes a customer, they have to go through several steps. Once they become a customer, according to those who practice the sales funnel, they then make a small purchase, and then that Some of those people make a bigger purchase. Some of those people make a bigger purchase. Some of those people, few of those people make an even bigger purchase. That is a concept that works very well for many people, but we mustn't exclude the fact that lots of people don't want to buy your ebook before they buy your high-priced mastermind retreat. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy to say, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I just saw you speak on stage for 45 minutes and I definitely want to become a premium coaching client for you to say, wait, wait, wait. First of all, you've got to give me your email address. Then I'm going to sell you my $7 ebook. Then you're going to do my $200 video training. Then you're going to attend my $500 retreat where I'm going to upsell you on my program. No, you'd say, great, give me your money. Let's get started. That's what you'd say. So, and then people's trust develops at different times. So, uh, Amanda, you might have known me for. 45 minutes, you've watched me speak, you've, you've never even heard of me before, but in those 45 minutes of me speaking live on stage, you are convinced that there's nobody better in the world mm-hmm. to be your personal coach. So you're going to come up with 45 minutes experience of me and write me a check for 15 to $20,000. Somebody else, uh, who's not you, Amanda, obviously doesn't exhibit the same great taste as you, has been on my mailing list for three years or four years or five years, and then writes to me and says, hey, Matthew, I've read every single email you've ever written. For the last five years, you'll be pleased to know that last week I bought your book for $3 on Amazon. So it, <laughs> took that person, it took that person five years to spend $3, but it took another person 45 minutes to spend $20,000. Mm-hmm. So different people have different needs, different levels of trust, different, you know, are attracted to you for different reasons. So I believe you should always, rather than force people into the top of a funnel, is give people the overview. Here's my carousel. Here's my suite of services. Mm. Which one feels right for you? Okay.
0: Can I just do a little plug for your email list? Because to anyone out there that wants to learn to write good, engaging emails for their audience, I think Matthew's Matthew's brilliant at it. Your emails are hilarious. You're really so good. kind. So can you just tell us where people can go and sign up for your list?
1: Yeah, the best place to go is MatthewKimberly.com. If you spell it wrong, I've probably... Got you covered because I own every permutation of, of Matthew Kimberly that redirects. But it's Matthew with two T's and Kimberly L E Y at the end. So MatthewKimberly.com. Or if you just Google Matthew Kimberly, I, I should be the first one. And
0: I'll link it up in the show notes too. But it's really, your emails are actually really, they're very, very funny.
1: I have okay. a policy that they shouldn't take me too long to write and I should really feel it. There was a stage where I used to write an email every day, and that was great practice, great discipline, short 400, words emails. I became a better writer. I followed the advice of Ben Settle. I don't know if you're familiar with Ben Settle. He teaches copywriting, specifically daily email marketing. And I did that for a while until... And it was fun and it was great discipline, but it it became forced for me. And I got to the stage where I was unhappy with the vast majority of emails I was sending out. So now I email far less frequently. But whenever I write one, it's because I'm excited about what I have to say. And and, and as you know, Amanda, most of the time, I might just be sharing a story. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, it'll just be nonsense. Or, hey, this has been on my mind, guys. How are you? And then occasionally, I'll send out a a series of concerted sales emails over a three to five day period, which I think I'm forgiven. You know, I think it's okay if you show up and, and... and most of them, well, I know I'm forgiven. You know the results. The results show that. In fact, some people say, "When please sell us more stuff." But I think if if you earn your right to stay in people's email inboxes, then trust grows. I spoke to a client last week or the week before who actually um, flew me to Kenya and Tanzania to do some training for his clients, and he said, "I will buy anything you recommend, Matthew." He said because your recommendations have always been solid, and that really hit home for me because I'm now at the stage where I'm pitched weekly multiple times on promoting somebody else's offer. And even if I love the person that's doing it, and even if I know that it's good, unless I can 100% get behind it, that's going to cause more damage than anything else. So I promoted, I think, two things this year, and I'll probably promote another two. But saying no to people who've been good to you in the past is tough, Mm -hmm. right? But there are other ways of serving people rather than becoming an affiliate marketer. And if, if you are a wellness professional who is making the smart choice to supplement your income by... Promoting carefully selected products and services delivered by your colleagues or, or, or suppliers or something like that—it's great. But bear in mind that every recommendation you make, you will be judged upon how that person delivers. That's so
0: true. This is a whole different conversation, but yeah, I get pitched yeah. all the time. Well, will you promote my course and my different products? And you have to be so careful because it all reflects. You make a bad recommendation, and then that that damages your relation. Your yeah, your reputation. Absolutely. With everyone. absolutely okay, right. So, I, I don't want to keep you too long, but there's something I absolutely want to talk about, which is something that I think almost everyone listening is struggling with. So, I'd say the vast majority of wellpreneurs are selling a service, mm-hmm. right? And the classic way we're taught to sell a service is to do like a free strategy call, like a free yep. strategy session. So, could you just kind of give us some advice or your tips or your take on how to make those effective?
1: Yeah. First piece of advice, I think they're great. I think they work very well. And I see that people at every level of service provision is doing these, whether they are multi-million dollar companies or whether they're just getting started. I think a couple of things are really critical when you're going to be doing them. One, you should qualify the people who are going to be getting on the phone with you. And I don't think it should be the first thing that they do. You know, If I come to your site, if there's a contact us button, that's fine. If there's a telephone number on your site, even better. But if your sole offer is sign up for a free session, then i believe that you devalue especially if you're if you're a one person you know practitioner i believe you devalue the your time you devalue your time if if the entire call to action front and center on your site is sign up for a free 45 minute consultation also because people aren't stupid you know people understand full well that 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 a consultation is not offered for free it's offered in the hope that you will become a customer so i actually prefer in the intro, i think qualification is critical you know, qualifying the people that you get on the phone with. So I would do, I would position it behind the scenes. So not front and center. I would say, if you are interested in becoming a customer and you would like to find out what that experience is like, let's get on the phone and talk about it. I will show you how I can help you. I will help you. I'll offer you some advice. and offer you some guidance. And I'll give you full details on what it means to become a customer with me. Don't worry, there's no obligation. But I want people coming on the phone understanding that there's going to be an offer at the end of it. And then when they get on the phone, I would put them at ease immediately because they're going to be sitting there going, okay, when's the sales pitch coming? When's the sales pitch coming? When's the sales pitch coming? I would tell them. And discomfort is very bad for receptiveness. If you're not feeling entirely comfortable, you're not going to be receptive to my message. So I would lay it out immediately. I say, right, uh, you're probably expecting a sales pitch. I'm going to do that in the last five minutes of this call if it's something that I feel is appropriate. So let's spend the next 25 minutes talking to you, getting to know your issues. I'll tell you about how I work. And then if you agree and if I agree, then we'll have a conversation about what the next step could be if you qualify. Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay, so now relax. You know that the end of this call, five minutes, I'm not going to trick you. I'm not going to do any neuro-linguistic programming crap on you. I'm not going to hypnotize you. But the reason I do these calls is to find my best clients because I can do magic with the right people. And if you're one of those right people, I'll make an offer. And then then at the end of the call, you can ask them. You can say, so based on everything you've heard so far, do you want to hear what my offer is? And they will always say yes, if if it went well. They will just have curiosity. Even if it didn't go well, they'll say yes. Mm -hmm. But here's what's critical. You've got to have a program to put them into. I don't know how many coaches who offer coaching as the product have told me, well, you know, I'm so bloody good as a coach that at the end of my 45 minute consultation, I've solved all their problems. So they don't need me anymore. What would you do with that situation? I've heard it so many times. They say, they come with a problem, I solve their problem, and they don't need me anymore. They say, thank you. And the problem is not that you solve their problem. The problem is that you haven't got anything to sell. Amanda, I could spend eight hours on the phone with you. Uh, It'd be a huge pleasure, but you would still never have received my school for selling. Mm -hmm. Right? So based on the time we've spent together, um, are you interested in finding out my offers? Yeah, well, I've got this fantastic online training course. It's called The School for Selling. It's self-paced. You get help whenever you need it. It's, it's, it you know, it's changed the fortunes of hundreds of business owners. And they might say, well, what's different to what we've discussed over the last eight hours? You go, well, you haven't done The School for Selling. <laughs> so if people say, you know, um, so are you interested in doing some life coaching with me? I say, well, what does that entail? Well, we get on the phone and I coach your life. Or whatever it is that life coaches do with respect to life coaching. You know, I have engaged and worked with and hired many life coaches in my life. But if the only thing you're offering is blocks of hours, and they'll be like, well, you know, I just had 45 minutes and it was okay. But you haven't made me hungry for your proprietary intellectual property. You know, If, I were to hire, if you were to hire me today, Amanda, I wouldn't say, great, well, we meet every month for an hour, and I help you become a better salesperson, and it's $10,000. I would say, here's the structure that we walk through. Here's what you get in there that you can't get anywhere else. They might have had life coaching before. They might have had nutrition advice before, but what they get from you, they can't get anywhere else, which is why so many people try so many different diets. Mm-hmm. right? What can I Why am I going to do a different diet? All diets are the same. No, you haven't done the fireman's diet. You haven't done the Atkins diet. You haven't done the cabbage soup diet. All you've done is the This diet, that diet, the other diet, the other diet. But you keep cycling through these things because even though you've had experience of something similar, you've never had that specific experience. So it's the specific experience that you've got to be selling if you're doing a free strategy call. It's got to be clear that what they're going to get when they become a customer cannot be got anywhere else. It can't be got on a free consultation. Mm-hmm. And that's where I see a lot of people making that mistake.
0: That's awesome. I hadn't really thought about that. A lot of people do say, well, what are you going to get? You know, Do you want to sign up as a coaching client? And we're going to meet every other week for an hour and we'll talk about whatever your most important issue is. That's not nearly as valuable as saying, I've got a system. It's proven. You can't get it anywhere else. And I'm going to take you through that system. It takes three months to go through
1: yeah, I actually, you know, I've gone one step beyond that now. And I, and I think if you can do this, it's even more powerful, which is you sell the result. And if you can promise that, you know, my result is you will make more money. You know, you will have more sales, You will make more sales. And I look at, you know, I make a very specific promise based on what their situation is. You know, if they're currently in a situation where they're not generating any leads, well, they wouldn't be working with me. But let's say, you know, they, they, they um, were generating X number of leads, but they wanted to increase the conversion rate. I'd say, well, why don't we work on doubling conversion? Why don't we work on doubling the conversion rate? And if that's something you're prepared to commit to and I'm prepared to commit to, let's give ourselves a six-month or a 12-month window. We know exactly what we're working towards. And they say, well, how much time will I get with you? We'll say as much as you need, but I want as little as possible time because there is zero correlation between the amount of time we spend talking on the telephone and whether you're going to get the result that you paid for. So, you know, I'd hire a coach who, who, let's say my, my, my intention was to lose 50 pounds, whatever that is, I don't know, imperial it's a lot you probably couldn't
0: lose 50 pounds if you lost 50 pounds i
1: I, I would i would be (laughs) left with that let's (laughs) say that was my that that happened to be my goal i want to lose the 50 pounds i don't want to sit down with you for 10 hours a day if what i want to do is sit down with you for 10 hours then i'm going to go to a therapist and so many coaches therapy just by accident but when i got started i did I'd say I would sell a package of hours. It'd be like 16 hours. Um, and we work through the book yourself solid system. So it's a hybrid. But at the end of that, I say, right, so here's what you've got to do to keep up your end of the bargain. Because, you know, a coach doesn't run the field for you. A coach doesn't swim the lengths for you. A coach doesn't do the push-ups for you. A coach tells you what to do and you go and do it. Or a coach supports you in what you're doing and helps you do it better. But you've got to be doing the doing. Otherwise, you get um, an employee or, or an assistant or something mm-hmm. like that. And if they didn't do that, or if they weren't doing that, We'd come back and we'd have endless conversations. And you know, I used to have people cry with me at the beginning of, uh, and I'm the least good person for that. There are some coaches who who encourage that because it's about emotional breakthroughs, etc. But I'm not interested. I can't deal with that. I feel very awkward if I have a lady, because it was always ladies crying, on the other end of the phone with me. I literally don't know how to do it. And I'd end up sitting there doing therapy. I'd say, well, did you have, did you initiate five sales conversations this week? No. Why not? I'm just not feeling it. Okay. Well, let's talk about why you're not feeling it. And all of a sudden, you're a therapist rather than a rather than a coach. And I think that's that's problematic. So now I prefer to offer the result. What is it you're working towards? Let's define what the end result is. And all the actions that we take will be towards that. And it could often be very, very simple, right? I'm not having enough sales conversations. Okay. So our aim for you is to have 20 sales conversations a week. Yeah. Okay. So let's reverse it. That's what we're going that's what you're going to engage me for, to get you to the stage where am i having where tw- well, i am having 20 sales conversations a week equals true that's what you're going to engage me for right so i will then put my hat on and i will reverse engineer what it what needs to be true in order for that to happen So, okay, in order for 20 sales conversations a week equals true, I believe that you need to be generating X number of leads or X number of prospects, and I believe they have to come from this particular area. So, this is the first thing you need to do is market or advertise in this area. The next thing you need to do is have a system for converting these leads to become prospects to get them on the telephone. And if we can, and you need to do the work, right? You need to do the work. But when we've reached that stage, so we'll have a couple of strategy sessions. I may have finished my work with you in three weeks which I think actually makes me more valuable and you should pay me more if I manage to get you that result quickly rather than a six-month engagement costs more than a three-week engagement. Nonsense. I think the result is what, is what we should be charging for.
0: Mm, I think that's a lot of food for thought for people, actually, because that's a good point. If you can get them the result faster, that's more valuable.
1: That's yeah, great. if you go to the dentist yeah. and you need root canal, he's like, well, if you want, I can take eight hours over it and <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. I can take eight minutes over it. Which do you prefer? Eight minutes and I'll pay you double,
0: yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. This has been great, Matthew. Thank you so much for being here. So we'll send people in the show notes to check out your school for selling, to sign up for your email list, matthewkimberly.com. Anything else? Any parting thoughts? Oh, I love book recommendations right at the end. Can you give us, other than book yourself solid, which Mm -hmm. you already talked about, what's your, do you have a favorite inspiring or educational business book?
1: I'm going to plug my own book here, Amanda, because I occasionally get the opportunity to. I
0: just opened that. (laughs) How
1: to Get a Grip by Matthew Kimberley is the definitive self help book. Don't read it if you're offended by nasty words. Uh, It's 288 pages of effing and jeffing and blinding, but it will give you a kick in the pants if that's what you need. So, How to Get a Grip by Matthew Kimberley. I recently read and enjoyed Built to Sell by John Warrillow. A great book if you want to design something more than a service-based job, but you actually want to build a business which can be sold. And I think that's a good measure of whether or not you have a business or a job. Many of us have jobs, and that's fine. Many of us claim to be entrepreneurs when really we're freelancers. That's fine as well. But I think it's an important distinction. If you want to be able to build an asset that can be sold, you need to build a business and built to sell by John Warilo is a book that made a big impression on me recently.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. I hope it's got you motivated and shifted your mindset a bit about how you can make selling work for you in your own wellness business. As always, you can get all the links to everything we talk about in the show notes at wellpreneur.com. And if we're not yet connected on Instagram, come find us there. We are at Wellpreneur. Okay, that's it for me this week. So I will see you back here very soon with our next episode.